Welcome to a special edition of the Rugby Bits podcast, in which you will actually find all four members of the Rugby Bits podcast in, in, in one recording. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm Tana, I've got Sean, I've got Jared and Cooks. Today, we're going to preview a big Super Saturday that's going to be coming in the final round of Six Nations. We're going to look through each of the matches and try to see what is going to happen on Saturday. And of course, with a big focus on that massive Ireland versus England clash in Dublin on Saturday. Sean, Cooks, Jared, how are you guys doing? Let's maybe start with Jared. Long time, no, 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 see. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great to be back on the pod. And uh, I can't believe we've managed to get everyone around the table um, and perfect timing, at least, so that we can talk about uh, the Six Nations Super Saturday. And uh, I, I like that you just called the massive clash being Ireland versus England when we all know that the, the big game is at the start of the day between Scotland and Italy. Yeah, the red, hopefully a red relegation six-pointer. Um, and yeah, it's great that we can all just get together. And just an apologies early on for the quality of our sound. Unfortunately, I won't bring my podcasting equipment for this one. Bunks, no Finn Russell this week, so I'm very surprised you're actually on this spot. <laughs> I'm just saying because charity is here. Um, it's been a while since uh, all four of us have uh, actually all been together, but... Um, I thought I'll take the have the same uh, injury that Finn had, but um, so basically my de- my afternoon only starts in the in the later games. So the first game I'm, I'm definitely missing because if there's no Finn, there's no party, unfortunately. Cooks, so I, I am touched that you're here just to talk to me, mate. I do appreciate that. No, I am. I, I, I couldn't have you on Monday after after Scotland lost. So I thought if you if you're available on Monday, I'd have definitely missed it. I I, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't face you off for the Scotland loss. I couldn't. So now I've had a couple. I've had a couple of days to recover. I'm being forward to the new week. I'm a new man. So that, that I'm in a good space. Yeah, Yo, you've got that uh, Wednesday rest day that uh, the players get as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So, so I'm ready to talk about. Um, and I think just bent on Gregor Townsend. So they lose to Italy this weekend. The blame is 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 solely on him. We're getting spicy already, and then Sean. Um, I think we, unfortunately, there's not going to be too much focus on this game, but the France versus Wales game, I think, yeah, it, it's not looking good for, for Welsh people. I think they were laughing at England during the match and then realized that they're the ones facing France next week. Yeah, hi, and it's so good to have everyone on. But I think a lot of them will be watching France if they don't have any interest in the other games, just purely because of what France did on the weekend and trying to look for them where they're going and also to see what Wales can pick up. So. We're actually in for a great, uh, a great three games where they all actually do have a bit of meaning, especially being a World Cup year and all. Yeah, so let's get on to first discussing, I think, the main match of the weekend, the, the Grand Slam decider, it, it to be Ireland versus England. Um, Ireland playing in Dublin, it's St. Patrick's Day end. England coming off a massive home record, record home loss and England having a few injury concerns, but let's start with Ireland. Jared, maybe just also getting your impressions of Ireland's this uh, on Sunday and then problem solving their way to a victory after, you know, losing their two bookers, um, probably the best player in the tournament, Caelan Doris and Ian Henderson during the game. Is there anything that Ireland should be concerned about before facing England? Yeah, it's always difficult when you take on a, a wounded dog. Um, I, th- I think that's the biggest thing I can say about England is that they'll definitely be looking to 
pull something out of their arse for this match. Um, but at the same time, you've you've listed all the reasons why Ireland wants to win this. It's St. Paddy's weekend. It's another chance to get a Grand Slam. They haven't won a Six Nations under Andy Farrell, despite being pretty much in the running for all of them. I think that he's finished in the top three um, in every Six Nations he's coached. So they would want to deliver a Six Nations Grand Slam, not just for the fans, but for him as well. So, yeah, I, th- I think Ireland uh, will be stressing over the likes of Sheehan and Kelleher, and I think losing Ring Rose was also quite a big ro- uh, blow for them. But, yeah, you you would expect them, after what they showed at uh, the weekend, you'd expect them to get over the line. Um, they're such a clever, intelligent team, that has attacked brilliantly throughout the competition. And I think their defense has been a little bit underrated as well. But uh, yeah, I, what, I, what I loved about the match is that uh, they made uh, plans about uh, the thro- uh, with Josh throwing in at the line-out, Healy scrummaging at, uh, at Hooker. And um, it's things that they learned from the last Six Nations campaign when they played against Italy and Italy lost both their hookers in their match against Ireland and they reacted by the very next tour that they went on when they went to New Zealand, Healy was already listed as a as a hooker. So yeah, that's just great foresight from their coaching team. They're so well prepared and uh, like you guys said on the pod, <laughs> they seem to have a 25-hour day to prepare for test matches. And then Sean, it seems like the, seems like that's the only main injury concerns at the moment is that uh, Ring Rose is definitely out Sheehan is probably out. Um, the likes of Ken can still make it. I'm not sure. You can grab with long. But it doesn't seem like there'll be too many losses for Ireland. I mean, Rob Herring is not a bad um, international cook at all. So it doesn't seem like there'll be too much disruption. Rob Herring coming for the Rickbows. They'll still have a very strong team on Yeah, they will. I'm very interesting. I know we all we speak uh, all speak very highly of uh, of Gary Ringrose, um, and obviously he's taken a bad knock. But one thing that um, we do need to look at is he was uh, definitely taken through the cleaners uh, on defence against Scotland. Um, he he missed seven tackles. He had it's the lowest I've ever seen I've ever seen his tackle completion percentage ever. So. Him not being there is quite interesting. Um, they obviously need to look at what's going to happen. The way I see it is they're going to they're going to put Henshaw at thirteen, or then they're going to bring McCloskey at twelve and then put Aki at thirteen. But I think they'll probably go with Henshaw at thirteen. But Ireland, uh, one of one of my mates on Saturday, basically I had two of them in the group and they were just like, yeah, like I was just saying this is this is quite something from Ireland, and they're like, yeah, but you know. They're, 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 they've got no hope of doing it. They've never made it past the quarterfinals in a World Cup. I was like, yeah, okay, that's amazing. Um, and the other one was like, in key positions, they don't have vital, uh, in key positions, they don't have depth. I think the complete opposite. I think they have, obviously, barring the obvious of the issue with Johnny Sexton um, and replacing him, which has been the focus, they've built up and made plans all over the park. So... I mean, just alone that um, that Kean Healy move and the Funder Flair lineout move alone is is shown what sort of planning and what sort of 
disruption because everyone knows that Farrell loves creating disruption. Like when they're late, he's like, this is great. The team will learn disruption. They're learning a lot of valuable lessons and lessons that um, they are going to draw on in tight games. And Brooks, I think we discussed this in the earlier part this week about Ireland looking like they are as prepared as, you know, the, the best sides in the world are. But let's focus on England a little bit. England has a few injury concerns of their own. Oli Lawrence has been out for this weekend. Um, there's now more questions about who's going to play in the 10, 12, 13 channel. And yeah, I guess a debate as to whether England just tries, you know, just, just has a, a completely new side or tries to maintain some consistency. So folks, where do you fall into that argument? Okay, like we mentioned on Monday, if you're a team in the Liberal Disruption, you don't know who you're. 10, 12, 13 combination is going to be the last team you want to play against is Ireland who thrive off picking off any selection mistakes or anyone who's sort of trying to figure out a position or a positional switch. I mean, that's us, Josh Adams playing at 13 last, last year in the Six Nations. So, uh, man, it's, it, it's so tough for England because you generally feel like if... For example, let's say he, he drops Marcus, his both would drops Marcus Smith. Then it's, oh, he, you see, Martin, and now is, a, is it Marcus Smith done for his test career? What happens now? Is it, when does he play again? Does he go back to Farrell? Now I see Ford's back in the, Ford's back in the mix. So it's, it's all of those questions like, what does both think want to do moving forward? Because I feel like the 10 12 combination or the 10 he picks now in the Six Nations. In this last game, it has to be the 10 going forward because they only have a couple of, of all my fixtures coming up and then it's straight into the World Cup. So to leave, I mean, let, let's say, for example, he does pick George Ford. I mean, to leave the Six Nations having played three tens and not knowing who your 10 is, I mean, two Lagos should play this weekend with him being back. Is he going to play 12? Is he going to play 13? I think the questions that England have got to answer aren't, aren't great questions to have to answer when you have about three games left until you go for the World Cup. So I personally would probably stick with with Smith and sort of the same and and put it put Twilagi at twelve. Um jeez, oh, Henry Slade. The Henry Slade had a terrible game, but that's but this is my me giving him the benefit of the doubt because I am a big Henry Slade fan. And sort of putting Smith there and then having Farrell on the bench again and sort of being like, listen, Smith, there's another chance. He has an experienced campaign in Twilagi and Slade on the outside. And, then, and I throw Youngs at nine. I think I'd like to give Marcus Smith's experience on his inside and outside and then take it from there and see how he goes. And for the pack, I am finding ways to put extra bricks in some of those forwards' back pocket to beefing them up a little bit because, yeah, I don't know if test them up front. But, yeah, I'll go Young, Smith, Twilagi and Slade. It wasn't? Too long ago, when we were talking about the options that England have, uh, or, so, or should I say the versatility of shifting players out, so you can have Farrell at 10, Tulagi at 12, or you can have Farrell at 12, Tulagi at 13. And it wasn't too long ago we were looking at that as a massive asset. And I don't think it's so, so bad at the moment, but I, I, I agree with one thing. If you looked at the inexperience that was on the field for England on Saturday. It was crazy. The front row was experienced. Murray Todger was experienced. Then five, six, seven, eight were inexperienced. Nine was inexperienced. Ten was inexperienced. Um, Eleven, 
12, 13, and 15, or was it 12, 13, 14, and 15? So there was no, I'm a big, massive fan of like, when you're in the shit, you've got to look at a player next to you. If you're inexperienced, you've got to look at a player next to you. And he's got to be like, it's cool, bro. You got this. Like, this is what we're going to do. And I know that it didn't flow in the game, but when Farrell came on, it's not that Marcus Smith had a bad game on Saturday. It's just they were lacking that direction. And when Farrell came on, I mean, they scored a try. And that's largely got to do with Farrell, what Farrell did. But it's because it was more that direction. Like, this is what we're doing. And everyone buys into it. So I'm with you, Cooks. I don't want to make wholesale changes. And I think Smith should probably start again. But you've got to make a change uh, at nine. And probably, um, I know, like I said, I don't want to make changes. We've got to make a forced change with, um, at 12 and then I'd actually like to see Marchant at 13 uh, I'm, I'm obviously a big fan but I have no problem with Slade who hasn't been the best since his return yeah so um, I, I don't think the biggest problem with England's performances have been their back line I think uh, their main issue has been in the pack and yeah uh, I, I, I don't see a point in starting um, Ben Youngs this weekend like I I, I see what, what you guys get in at it, getting experience on the pitch, but um, outside of Youngs, there's no one else in England that really has experience that is definitely going to the World Cup. Like Harlequins fans can lie to themselves and think that Danny Kay is somehow going to get a recall under Borthwick. He, he doesn't suit Borthwick's style. He's so. done hurt, oh, but he's brilliant. He he's is. Brilliant. He is. I, I, I really do love him as a player, <laughs> but with, I just. I'm with you. I sorry. don't see. I, I don't, I don't see him going to the World Cup. So, yeah, why, why play Youngs in a match that uh, he, he really doesn't have to play in? Because let's, get, let's be honest, it's not like England have any chance of winning the Six Nations. The hopes are done for. So, yeah, get from Port Bleach, uh an extra couple of, an extra 60 minutes under his belt, get uh, another 20 under Alex Mitchell. And, yeah, when the World Cup rolls around, like Ireland do with uh, Johnny Sexton, you pull Bang Youngs out of, no man's land and chuck him straight into the trenches and he'll be fine because he's got the experience to do it so for me the the England backline they really haven't been that bad um yes there's been some defensive issues and stuff that takes a while to get to get sorted but we we've also been speaking this whole entire World Cup um cycle about how the Springboks had to make up that one year that we missed out entirely on Tesh Rugby now Borthwick is trying to shove the four years worth of his implementation and his ideas into six months, which is a ridiculous amount of time. So, yeah, I, I think the backline, they're pretty much fine. But what England should be doing this weekend is just trying to get their forward pack to to muscle up. Um, they were bullied by France, absolutely taken to the cleaners. And, uh, yeah, I think it was the box who said it during the World Cup that uh, Japan wanted to take you to the dance floor, but the box are going to take them to the gutters. And that's sort of what uh, England have to do this weekend. Pull their team up with uh, as many bosses as they do have. Um, I don't think they have as many as they probably should have. And that's probably the premiership's fault. But uh, yeah, get get as many bosses in the pack as you can and just try make it a dogfight up front. You know, like the everyone is pretty much clear on, on what needs to change you could see it on saturday and i know dombrun's getting a lot of heat dombrun's getting heat because he 
he would have to play outside of his style to fit what England needs. England, they like their front row is fine. I mean, you can argue about changing one or two players, but in terms of their roles, is is, is fine. Etoje at four is fine. Then for me, like ribbons or someone like a big bulky carrier at four, um, uh, sorry, at five or in the locks, I don't really care where. And then you've got to have a carrier at eight or have laws back. But, but I'm happy with the way the flanks have been. The flanks have been fine. It's just, I think the, the, the bottom line is it's just unbalanced. Like, I don't see how that they haven't brought Billy Vinipola back, who fell out of favor, has been playing decent rugby, and everyone will complain about it, but that's literally what they need. And I agree in that it's almost like one that one person will do something that will change the, the, the flow of the entire team. So I'm interested to see how this plan unfolds. I mean, even Sam Simmons, he's still in, in there. I don't think he's injured. Like he is a, is a more a, a tighter eight. So it's, it's just interesting. I'd love to know what's happening and how, how it's going to unfold. Yeah, I think it was Andy Good that uh, said it's, it's a personal thing with uh, Borthwick and, and Vunapola. He made that claim this week. But uh, yeah, I, I'm also I'm not convinced with Dom Brandt. Um, but yeah, it, people are saying that he's playing a different role than um, what he does at Quinns. But yeah, sometimes you have to do that as a player. You have to fit. Uh, if you want to carry on playing Tesh Rugby, you have to mold your game into what the head coach is want you to do um lots of players have done it throughout of throughout their careers and the players that don't don't end up having long test careers so unfortunately they 100 you know, but yeah sorry Go to interrupt you but when a player needs to do that like he's going to have some guidance around him for me uh, um dombron doesn't have that guidance around him because everyone is 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 pretty green and then also like you um when when you're under pressure when anyone's under pressure when you get tired when you're under pressure when you're out of breath and struggling or you're losing and you're chasing the game everyone automatically falls into default mode and default mode is not what they needed like like you said they needed him to play a different role but it's hard doing that when when everyone's chasing the game and everyone's kind of deer in the headlights because there's no real experience around there it's 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 mm. hard but i don't know maybe he's just throwing like shit against the wall and hopefully something will stick or he's basically seeing the metal of each of every one of the players before he makes a final call for the World Cup and just writes off the Six Nations, which is what England really didn't need as a fan base, You especially because they fired Eddie Jones because they wanted to win the Six Nations, you know? No, oh, 100%. And but even though... Yeah, I, yeah, go for it, Cooks. No, go, Jared. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm sure, like, even on the point, you're like... <laughs> so <true. laughs> no uh, just the last points on Vinopola is that like he played the whole of pretty much the whole of last year and Eddie Jones and I'm not gonna lie there wasn't a test match that I really thought just see England are, are stuffed without Billy like they have options at number eight and he's a good one but he's not the best one but yeah for, for me Ludlam must just play eight get another flanker in there George Martin's back get him in there yeah I think I think the English packets it's such a hard thing, especially if you look at, I mean, this Laws and Curry injured. I mean, that's, I mean, Tom Curry, that's, that's, those are massive losses. But I do think, for example, in that French game, you needed someone like Billy Vinopoli. At least you're going to get that, some sort of go forward ball. Especially even if you're going backwards, at least Billy's able to sort of 
if it's coming back was to pick it up and then try to create some sort of momentum. But, you know, I think we, we mentioned this on Monday and we mentioned in the group that for me with England, the hard thing with Broadwick is they leave in the Six Nations and they arguably, they arguably know five or six or seven guys in the 23. And there's a lot more questions and answers. Like no one knows who's, who's what team they wanted. You, know, you look at English fans now, it's, it's so funny because they almost attacking both people for playing youngsters, the same thing that Eddie Jones was trying to do. <laughs> so the same thing Eddie Jones is doing for what does he has to do now. And, and it's like, oh, why can't you add more experience? Why is no Danny K? Why can't you add a Vinipot? Why can't we add, we need more guys. But like, when, but like we don't need all the youngsters. And then like, it's such a, it's such a, a tough situation for both to be in, to, to start coaching aside when you get the job January. Um, but for, I think this weekend for me, England, is, I think it's more about, yeah, just just saving face after last weekend. I mean, they can't just roll over again and let Ireland have their way. And I just feel like Ireland's also too good. I think Ireland's too good to to fall under the spell of England, of England and, and, and make it into an emotional game. Ireland knows what they need to do. They want, they want to win a Grand Slam. They want to keep building. But I think England's going to try and make the game as emotionally, be emotionally charged up as possible or it could be a 20-point win, 30-point win for Ireland. Um, Cooks and then Jared maybe can go as well. Is it not just time to admit that maybe England just doesn't have the players? Like, I'm talking about maybe getting in someone like Dan Cole to be a better tight end. Maybe someone like George Martin to be at six. You know, I mean, what you expect. Not really the best players ever. And Monty Lagi making like his 20th comeback. He's just not been the same player he's been this time. Like, you know, I think England maybe should just lean into maybe just being, you know, in their sort of lightweight, you know, shredding era. And, you know, you're not going to have the big masters anymore. Just need to try and play, give away with the talent that you have. Or, you know, just try to lean on sort of the fundamentals that you have. Because, yeah, I think the days are gone that England can really just rock up and really match, you know, the best of the best teams physically. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's a great point. I think, yeah, it could be a situation where they just, they just fought too far behind Ireland and France. And I think, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I do think Steve Borthwick is, is a fantastic coach, but it's, you look at this England, English, side, English side, you look at them now without Eddie Jones, it, it, it does kind of feel like Eddie Jones sort of punched above his weight and the quality that he brings. It always gives England a punter's chance. I mean, I know Steve Porter's has only coached five international games, so I, I know he's you know, he's going to get better. But, you know, it, it, it's it's starting to feel, I mean, this is a very early take that this World Cup has come a year too soon for them, especially with both weekend. It might be, obviously, try their best to compete. Luckily, they're in the lighter side of the draw. But, um, yeah, it might feel this World Cup has come a year too soon for them. And I just, yeah, I feel like they may not have the players. and certain players like experienced guys like you look at Farrell for example he, he's on the loose form he's not kicking as well as he used to um Ben Young still hanging around but he is not playing and yeah what where do they go from yeah I mean like that's the question like what what, what other players they bring in hopefully Laws comes back and Kyrie will be back for the World Cup but it may be time to admit the players and unfortunately for Steve Borthwick he may not have that international experience right now 
sort of bridge that gap where Eddie Jones w- w- would have been able to. Yeah, I, I sort of I, I agree with you, Cooks, and uh, I think a lot of uh, some of the blame does have to fall on the Premiership clubs um, for not developing the the kind of players that are needed as uh, call them test match animals. Like uh, you, you look at somebody like Etzebeth, how many Etzebeth style players are roaming about the Premiership, and not very many. When I say roaming about the the Premiership, being English qualified, um, you sort of look at the teams. Um, Harlequins have uh, Ian Hurst playing that position for for them. Um, Saracens have uh, Murray Tarije, obviously. London Irish have Adam Coleman. Like all of these players have been bought in from overseas. Exeter Chiefs have um, Johnny Gray, Yanis uh, Kirsten. So yeah, Gloucester have Albert Tusi. Yeah, so I've got the Dupriers. Like you, you, you're looking for these big, um, aggressive forward players, and around the Premiership, they've gone and recruited these players from outside instead of developing them within their systems. And all the English players are are very flashy players, and you need those big, powerful um, players in in Test match rugby. We had um, Matthew Powerford talking on Supersport the other day, saying that. Uh, Eddie wanted to beef up the pack and get it more powerful to uh, compete with the Southern Hemisphere sides. And yeah, he, he was trying to do that, but you can only work with uh, what you what you got. And yeah, if you if you look now, this is the, the biggest issue about England's performances is they don't have the power in the pack. Even in their senses, if you take um, Lawrence and Tuolagi out, the, out of the equation, where is there a big aggressive running center in the premiership they it just isn't uh, i think mark atkinson is is one of the few guys and he never got a chance under eddie jones he was unable to convince him to give him more more opportunities in the side and i, I think he might be injured now but i don't see him coming in under borthwick either so yeah yeah even a side like northampton saints they they went and got australians to come and be their bruisers they got uh, luke and salaka lotto and uh can't think of the other guy's name right now but so it's, it's another australian so yeah i i, I think uh, they the england team have been somewhat let down by the premiership clubs and the style that the premiership has um taken they uh, have adopted and the more running rugby, entertaining rugby, and it's just, it's just not bearing fruit for the English team. The, you, you know that if if the RFU and and Prem realize or decide that this is a hassle, there's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting. I mean, if you think about what's happening financially with the clubs and then now this, I mean the most the the the, the wealthiest rugby union in the world they obviously expect better outside of France. Um, outside of France, yes, it, but isn't it, isn't the RFU the the richest the richest union? Yeah, yeah. Always, always, FFR. So, um, yeah, not club, not club rugby, but so so they, if if this comes through, like they're going to probably try and implement a GIF system or something like that. I mean, t- talking long term and obviously looking um, going on the extremes, but it's crazy, but. We talk about eights and, and all that. Like if you look at bruises and everything, I tell you, I don't think Ron Ackerman is far away from getting a call up unless 
uh, I'm sure he's qualified already comfortably uh, a year or two, but he's never really been. Yeah, he's never really been in, in the mix. He's not ever been in the conversation. But there's, you're right in terms of, of players that have come through and, and that have been drafted in to, to clubs to, to fill those gaps that have mostly been, been foreign. But you know, maybe the, the pack of cards is going to crumble. I, I didn't think it, it would, um, but, I mean, it's pretty sustainable in France. Um, it's not su- sustainable in England at the moment it looks like and now they're hurting on the international side that's going to cause cause issues big time and then just finally before we go to the next match um i'll start with sean who would be your i mean the six nations player of the tournament would likely come from ireland unless there's a big surprise on saturday out of those irish boys who would be your six nations player of the tournament uh, well if, if i'm only limited to ireland it it would probably be Kalen doris but he's injured and going to miss the last game. So, I don't know. Oh, Hugo Keenan. I think if it's got to be an Irish player and he's going to play every game, it's going to be Hugo Keenan. He's been incredible. Um, I think other guys that have put their hand up have been um, Gael Fiku. Um, I think he's been, he's been really good. Um, trying to think. Obviously, uh, Huey Pilotu, either one of them can get can get in a shot, but probably Hugh Jones is is probably the front runner there. Um, and I'm really bummed that I didn't get to. Um, so I, I picked Crosby as as the young player of the of the tournament, and unfortunately, he wasn't started as much as I thought he would for Scotland. My on, honestly, and I was, and I never put it down, which is I'm regretting now. But someone that I was going to name as young young player was. Uh, Jack Dempsey, and he also hadn't been starting, but when he started this weekend, he was rampaging. I mean, he made like 22 tackles or something stupid, and I would have loved Dempsey to get young player of the tournament considering it's his first Six Nations and he's like <laughs> 38 years old. But anyway, but yeah, I, out of Ireland, uh, Hugo Keenan, obviously that's with, with, with Ring Rose's injury and Doris's injury and all that sort of jazz, um, probably Keenan. And then, Jared Cooks, anyone else you want to nominate? I just want to note that um, Mac Hansen has two Man of the Match performances in a row. <laughs> so is that your pick then? <laughs> a little subtle nudge. <laughs> just saying, just saying. Yeah, I, I, I thought uh, Hansen was a bit lucky to get it uh, in, in round, what was it, round three of the tournament. So I, I thought he was a bit lucky, to be honest. But uh, I think Keenan's a great shout for it. I think Sharky's picked the best of the Irish um, for, for that one. Um, outside of Joburg's finest, of course. Um, I, th- I think uh, a lot of the Ireland team has been, they've lost a few key players that made a good shout early on. Um, I don't think we can understate how key Andrew Porter has been for them. He's gone deep into a lot of matches and probably won't get any recognition because he plays in the front row and he's not uh, got a number two on his back. But uh, yeah, I think Massive he deserves shots. a good. I think he deserves a, a good shot. Um, I think yeah, it's been amazing. It's been amazing to see Charles Olivon back on in a Six Nations uh, matches and he's thrived in it but uh Theobald uh the fly half from uh Lambro is probably the 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 man that uh I'd go if it's not from Ireland I think he should probably get it he's been unreal for for France the entire tournament do you do, do you know that that he played fourth division rugby at varsity no ways 
Did you know? I, I heard he yeah, played I'm in, in you, Argentina and he was as playing, well. Yeah, yeah, and he was playing in England. He wasn't, didn't even get a look in anywhere in France. He was studying and he was playing fourth division. And then he's just, I can't believe you guys didn't hear this. Yeah, it's amazing. No, bit of a bit of a bit of a stuff um, stuff that I that I I went did a deep dive on him. I maybe I thought you guys would know. I might have mentioned to you, but no one else knows it. It's never thanks. Yeah, thanks for that deep dive research, Sean. We 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 really we really appreciate that kind of insights on the on the rugby bits podcast. You're welcome. Pub pub quiz. There, you guys keep it for pub quiz. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, thanks for for that information. And maybe speaking of, let's let me get into that second game. The second game of the day, which is the France Wales game in Paris. Yeah, it doesn't look great for Wales, but we didn't have really a chance to talk about the Walsh game in the last uh, podcast. Um, Jared, just do you think Wales showed improvement in the game against Italy? Are, are there things that they are sort of doing better? They're sort of growing and getting better, or was it just a matter of Italy not refusing to kick any ball that they get? Yeah, it's, uh, it must be so frustrating um, watching the Italian team as as a Italy fan because, yeah, you know, while everyone else is screaming for their team to stop kicking the bloody ball, they screaming for Italy to kick the ball. Um, yeah, I, I think Varney has quite a bit to learn and Garbisi in in the same breath um, about a bit of game management and playing in the right areas of the pitch, but. Yeah, I, I think Squidge uh, said it that Italy were so focused on winning the game that they didn't like they, they were they were so focused on scoring tries to win the game that they didn't actually focus on getting the ball over the line. So I think that cost him a lot. But uh, I think we did start seeing um, a bit more Warren Ball come through with Wales. Um, I think they've also done. He's also going through through the paces of giving young players the opportunity and learning about this new squad of his. And yeah, I, th- I thought it was an inspired performance by Reese Webb. Um, I thought he was fantastic. He controlled the tempo of Wales' um, attack much better, and he he kept them guessing and pinned them in in testing situations. Um, I think it was a tough game for Tommy Allen to play fullback in. Um, yeah, yeah, I think they might have been a bit better off playing Padovani at the back and getting another winger in. But yeah, we sort of uh, spoke about it. The Sean and I spoke about it on the other podcast that uh, they the, the Italians sort of need to pick um, a, a sense of their game plan around um, their players, and they obviously felt that Allen was the best option at fullback in place of Capuazzo. So. Yeah, overall, I think it was a better performance by Wales, um, and yeah, Reese Webb was a, was a, played a big part in it. Yeah, and then where are Wales now, Sean? With you know, Warren Gatlin has been like right here and trying to sort of top a change and see pretty much all the people in the squad. Do you think he has a, a better idea of what's what's his best fifteen or best twenty three? Um. Same as I mentioned with with England earlier, but I think more so with Wales, and we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, I think he's just trying to give people experience, time in the saddle, sort that out, and just kind of gain a little bit of direction um, before I, I suspect that we will see for, the, for um, the World Cup that he will probably go more conservative, older squad, 
and then have these some of these youngsters and you guys filling in the gaps. Loving the center options, um, but I don't think that they are going to be your your starting pair going into the into the World Cup. Um, you're probably going to be looking at a couple of the other older guys to come through. Um, Jared's bang on with Webb. Webb was flipping outstanding, and and he's was a great interview afterwards. Quite emotional about how he's just got to make sure that he's ready when his time comes. And he's thrown a spanner in the works in terms of uh, giving Gatlin some extra thought on on who he's going to be selecting. But I think uh, Wales will be significantly better in the World Cup. Um, I don't think Wales. I think Wales would be better, are in a better place than England are currently, if if it makes sense. Even though the the log position doesn't suggest it, but I, I do think Wales are probably in a in a better space. Sure, I was, I was going to say the exact same thing. I'm glad you got the the hot take out before I did, saying Wales in a better spot than than England because I genuinely it, it kind of felt like. Italy in a better spot, mate. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> um, um, I just uh, with Wales, I'm not as um, I know. Obviously, there's a lot going on behind the scenes in, in, in Royal Rugby, but I feel like with, I look at I look at Wales, for example, and when you come World Cup time, and I, I feel like Catlin sort of in his way, it's almost like these five games, like almost like a trial, like an extended trial period. That, just like I'm gonna try a sort of combination, see what I have, see what's going on. You try obviously there's, there's a big mess behind the scenes, but I feel like for him the Six Nations is sort of yeah, like it's just, I'm gonna give as much guys as much caps as possible and sort of see what's gonna happen, and then come come World Cup time. So I still would not like would would not like to play Wales in the World Cup. I think they still have enough experience and a little bit of quality to sort of, especially in the side of the the draw they're in to sneak. Around and will mess around and find themselves in a semi final, but I do think I'm not as as, as down in Wales as, as probably the Welsh <laughs> the people in Wales are. But I, and I do I mean this weekend I mean obviously I'm still beating France, but I do see them getting better. But but Cooks is that not just uh, the Gatlin effect because uh, we we've known and we've seen what he's done with Wales in the past then sort of just a bit more frightened of uh, Gatlin than we are of Borthwick. Um, not to say Borthwick is a bad coach, but we all know what Gatlin has done for the last decade for Wales. 100%, Jared. I think it, 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 it probably is 70% based on the Gatlin effect. I mean, I think Gatlin is fantastic. He's a fantastic coach and you've seen what he's done with Welsh side and you've seen he's, he's made them sort of play above their talent level, apologize to any of the Welsh players, <laughs> but we've seen the, the, the quality that the Gallen can produce. And I do think he's the, him coming, like him with the squad is, he's in a better place than what, what Wayne Pivak would have, because I think Gallen can elevate that squad. And he's done it before. And I think he backs himself to do it again, which is unfortunate with both of you know, in that boat where like, you know, can he do it? Just experience. I think that's that's the big thing. I mean, that's what could come back to hurt both week, but with Catlin, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a Catlin guy. I do trust him. Well, I do believe in a, in a bit of Warren Ball, and yeah. And I mean, like, I just I can't. I don't know. If, I hope the Pox don't end up playing Wales again in the semi final, because like, you might see another kick fest, um, as as Rossi would say, we went we went fall asleep again. 
but it's just yeah, it's, it's so hard for me to write uh, to write over Warren Catlin's side, a Warren Catlin coach Wales side. What? Why are we talking about Wales and Italy when Scotland are playing Italy? No, I, I think we were just finishing off on on on, uh, on, on Wales. <laughs> yeah, I, I threw the question that. Uh, at Cooks, if uh, that he's more scared of uh, of Wales um, more than England, oh, but fair enough. yeah, that that, that 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 came from your from your hot take, Sean. That uh, Wales are in a better place than I'm than England, sorry, which uh, I, I I don't <laughs> think it's that spicy, to be honest. I think it's pretty spot on. Like it, it sounds a lot yeah. spicier than it is because England beat Wales, but uh, Wales also yeah, they've got Warren Gatland. <laughs> yeah. So sorry, I'm I'm back in the mix now, and I it, I picked a terrible time to read an email that's obviously not paying attention. But right, so France, um, we're obviously going around this backwards. But France, Wales, so Wales in in a decent position. But I mean, they're going up against France in in Paris. What are you expecting from France? Are you expecting them to roll like the big boys and just slam it, Jared? Yeah, I, I I don't think they'd be resting players. Um, they obviously, in with the shot, they need a favour from England of all people. Like we don't know, we don't, we're not expecting England to to roll Ireland, but uh, France will go all guns blazing to try and put a post a big enough score to put them in a position to to win the competition. If England, if Ireland do slip up, um. Yeah, they, mm, they were mm. without Paul Willemser this weekend, which is a bit of a blow, but uh, I'm seeing that uh, Charles Olivon might go into the second row with McAlew starting uh, on at flank. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, Tyler spoke about Francois Croft playing brilliantly last week. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I think they would be pretty well off um, even without Willemser uh, locking in the tight end over there. Mm. Cooks. Um, France, I mean, I, I agree. I expect, uh, I expect him to roll out the big boys. There'll be some changes. Um, but France, do you reckon that they will do enough against Wales? Um, under the, they're under pressure to really put up a big score. You reckon they'll do enough against Wales to make Ireland look over the shoulder? I think Ireland's already looking over the shoulder from the weekend's game. I think Ireland... I do feel like Ireland and France kind of know that they're the two best sides in the competition. And it's almost like, it feels like if when the Six Nations ends, it'll feel like almost like a 1-1 because obviously France beat them. I mean, Ireland won every game last year except for the French game. And France should win every game this year, barring the Irish game. So that they probably still feel like they they evenly match. So, but, but I do think France, I mean, we'll get the bonus point. I think France will be looking to finish off the competition with a strong performance. And the nice thing about the, the, the ideal thing for the sides of the Six Nations is the fact that CJ has said Six Nations instead of Five Nations. I've, I've moved on since 2001. <laughs> well done. Um, <laughs> um, with, um, with front, I mean, the size of Six Nations is the benefit of their next test is only around August and so. So they do have time in between. And yes, some, some players will be rested in between. They can be managed. But this is, this is another, as a last chance sort of get, to be together and sort of, make another statement and I think that's what France want to do and, and show that they are because I, I, I don't think I mean Ireland's were the best side this year but if you look at if you to rank them it's probably they're like number one and one A they, they just they're so evenly matched that we have, that France will feel like they can still put being Ireland and Ireland will still will always be looking at France they will, they will always be looking behind them and see where, 
what the French are doing. So I think the Six Nations still being a good campaign for France, and I think they'll end it off positively this weekend. Okay. So unfortunately, we've only got what seven minutes left. So we're gonna five minutes. We're gonna have to chat about Scotland, Italy, and I really wanted to give them a little bit more more love. They they definitely both sides definitely deserve more. But Cooks, I'm gonna start with you on Scotland, and then Jared, I'm gonna go to you on Italy. Um, Cooks. Scotland are obviously without um, their, their two talisman at 10 and 15. Um, they've gone through a few changes, but they've got the grunt up front. You, you reckon that King Horn's going to be playing at 10 or they're going to draft him in at 15? And how do you see them mentally preparing and focusing for this at home against Italy? I think King Horn will go in at 10. I think, um, I mean... Um, Gregor Townsend has played him at 10 several times. He's taken him as the 10 of tour, but I'll, I'll, I definitely think he'll, he'll go in with him at 10. And for Scotland, the biggest thing for me this game is all the progress they've made this year, the, the Six Nations, falls to shit if they lose to, on the weekend. Because if they win three and out of five and the only two they've lost in the two best competitions, it's, it's, it's they've made better strides than they've made last year when they could only beat England and then sort of fall apart against anyone else everyone else but I think for them the most important thing without Finn and Stuart Hogue is to win this game and make a statement and be like listen we are moving in the right direction but knowing Scotland they could like I said Scotland loves giving their fans hope and then just letting them down they could fall apart and then lose on the weekend but this game for them is, is so crucial for their development to show that they have actually made strides going forward and they're not just a slide that raises themselves up to play England and raises themselves up in certain moments. So I think this game for them is probably one of the most important of the competition. Yes, great point. Great point. Um, Jared, Italy. So we've gone through, I mean, it's pretty evident that their their issue lies in, in their inability to kick well and their inability to kick full stop. Um, along with one of the most exciting parts of the game, which is running from everywhere. Um, so essentially it falls down to, to game management. Now, I, I was loving that Gobisi made the comeback because I wasn't happy with Allen at 10 for the, first, for the opening two games. But I almost felt that Allen would probably be the best shot at 10 had Kapoats not been injured. Do you think that the way, the style that they're playing now, that Allen might be the best shot? And... Obviously, Italy looking at Scotland, they would have highlighted this calendar, this game on the calendar as the one that they're going to win, they, them and Wales. But they would have looked to take two wins this season out of the Six Nations that have been Wales and Scotland. Do you reckon they could do it? I, I think they can definitely do it. Um, I, I, I'm going to uh, come back around to the, the Gobisi question. I think Gobisi is their main man. Like, I think what they sort of looking at with Gobisi is him becoming the Italian Sexton, that everything revolves around Gobisi. And uh, I, I don't think it's a bad decision to do that. Um, yes, it puts you in a, a sticky situation when he's unavailable, but I, I do think he's comfortably the best uh, fly half that they have at their disposal. and. Um, I think we saw that a little bit when Italy had um, a few opportunities in the opening two rounds without him and Alan sort of had a little bit choke-ups uh, choke with 
kick into touch and get in 10 meters where most fly halves would have easily got 20 meters, um, not putting uh, his foot down kind of thing. So, yeah, uh, I think uh, Garbisi is the best option at 10 and they have to continue with that. Like I alluded to earlier, they should maybe look at getting Padovani in at uh, fullback and bringing somebody else onto the wing. Um, I think it could do a great deal to the, for their game. Um, but yeah, I think that's small things. Um, I, I, I do want to throw some shade at uh, Scotland before the podcast ends. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, Tinkering Tooney is going to come back out of the hibernation just for the last round of the Six Nations. And uh, he's going to do some wild things. And I, I think he's going to move Hugh so. Jones to fullback. Yeah, he's going to move Hugh Jones to fullback. He's going to play Blair King on a fly half. He's going to bring Chris Harris in. Which is probably the most uh, like not not non risky selection he would have made the entire competition. But after making almost no changes to his backline, tinkering Tooney's uh, fingers will be twitching, and he will finally pull the trigger. Um. So think, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> just just on that, I think that is. I think it's the greatest chart because for me, Kinghorn no. should be playing at ten and not at fifteen. When you can play Kinghorn at 10 and you're reasonably well covered and allowing um, Hugh Jones to still use his attack and then you can lean on the Harris defensive setup, uh, I think I no. think that's probably the most balanced and could cause hassles moving forward if they have a good game. I, I think what they do is they throw Ben Healy in at fly half. You put Kinghorn, Kinghorn at fullback and you leave the sense partnership as is keep Chris Harris on the bench and if things are falling apart with debutants Ben Healy at, at fly half, you pull him off, stick, and then you uh, go to, to the setup. So, go back to I think, that last one. Yeah. yeah I, th- I think they better off starting Ben Healy at fly half. Um, yeah, I, I do also want to throw a little bit more shade at uh, Jamie Ritchie. I think he's a fantastic player, but... Uh, yeah, we we constantly got some, uh, we got some back chat about uh, Mapimpi and Bongi from the from the Scotland fans last year, and Richie has been blown up twice. The Six Nations for back chat as captain. That it's not acceptable. He he pretty much lost the game for them against France. And it happened in November. That. And it happened in November, and he was going off at uh, Montoya. So. Yeah, I think uh, he's a great player and I think that's one side of his captaincy he really has to sort out. You need to know your limits with the referees and both times he's been blown back this uh, Six Nations has been has, has been right calls and he's really taken it overboard. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. Sean, I don't know if you want to have one final chat about uh, Kieran Crawley and his uh, post-match interview. Well, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on it, but I actually didn't watch it. <laughs> I saw everything oh, blew up on it okay. and I got sidetracked yeah. and I never even got back to it, but he, he had words about the referee, I believe. So yeah, give us a rundown yeah. and then Cooks jump in if you want to comment. Yeah, so he, he pretty much uh, called out the, the referees and the TMOs and everyone in between about uh, the decisions that went against his side and probably rightly so but one of the biggest things that i loved from his interview besides the, uh keeping aside the fact that uh he probably shouldn't have done it and it's not a good look for the for the competition but he talks about how the um 
that he's sick and tired of going through the correct in inverted uh, in inverted commas uh, channels with with world rugby and just getting a, a a response of oh no we we got that one wrong sorry about that um so yeah but sounds very familiar i don't know if you guys feel the same <laughs> sounds like a certain uh direct of uh rugby we have here in south africa <laughs> no who is it but, no. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is like it is toxic I mean, for italy those calls tend do tend to not go their way and if you go about in the right channels and um it's frustrating when you get that same oh listen we got it wrong um, but next week we'll fix it in those calls keep going against you. It's, it's a tough place to be, especially in the fine margins of test rugby. And the thing that's happening, I mean, we've, we've had several coaches obviously come out and talk about the, the procedure, the, the, the process of doing it. So if the more coaches bring it up, then it's clearly world rugby has to look at that process. How does it work in terms of in, in the calls being made and things like that? Because at the moment now, because I mean, rugby a game that hinges on 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 the referees whistle. Because so much of the of the game is led up to in the how they ref in, interpretates the laws. So I mean, I do feel for Kieran Crowley, and it, it's tough, especially if you um, on a side like Italy. Those calls tend to not go your way. So I, I don't know what the right way to, uh, what the right way to go about is because uh, if you go to the right channels, you get the same answers. If you tweet about it or you make a video about it, then you, then you can't go into, then you can't go into stadium. So <laughs> you need to find a middle ground of what is the right way to go about it before you go to the world cup. Because I don't think we need Kieran Crowley now banned from stadiums. And then well, what's next? If I make a comment about the referee on Twitter, am I going to be banned from my couch or the bar or watch the game at? So we need to find, we need to find answers quickly. I mean, September's September's are rolling around quickly. Yeah, I, I think you're right. right. And, and the guys make those they make those comments out of frustration because they know everyone knows that the channels are being followed, but nothing comes of it. So it's made out of frustration. It's brought into everyone's eye line, and then we get to discuss it, and then it creates change. So disruption will create change. It's just the how part. Sorry, Joe. Yeah, but I, I think you guys are spot on, and uh, I don't think it's a bad thing if coaches constantly bring up maybe not in the way Crowley did but uh but constantly bring up um the fact that the system doesn't work because I mean uh, Wayne Barnes sort of left uh led it after his um backlash that he got from from uh Russi's tweets and that kind of thing but they we now have a referee association or union that has, has formed and you 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 will only get that sort of thing when um world rugby is not really protecting the, the referees as much as they should should or creating the right kind of channels for open debate between the the coaches and the referees so yeah i, I think we sort sort of starting to i think the coaches do need keep keep the pressure on there um but yeah probably not in the way that that uh kieran crowley did because yeah i i, I think uh he, he was quite harsh, and I do believe that uh, World Rugby could have stepped in with uh, some sort of statement or sanction or hearing or or something. Um, because yeah, you you obviously don't want uh, referees. We, we want referees in games going forward, um, or young people to take up refereeing, and they won't if uh, they hear comments like that. 
is it as Jared, I mean, 100% right, but I also think that now older, by not doing anything about it, it puts themselves in a corner because, for example, if I'm Rusty Erasmus and I'm going, okay, cool, but look, look what Kieran Crowley did. Are you not going to, are you not going to, are you going to do anything about that? So now it, it creates this agenda that it's basically the rest versus the Springboks because, or the rest of all rugby versus the Springboks because Russ is going, well, if I say something and I'm, uh, I'm getting sanctioned, I'm getting called in, there's things happening. But if someone else says that nothing happens to them, when, you know, when Eddie Jones is, goes off with the referees in his, um, in his, um, in his press conference, nothing happens to him. So it's like, yeah, so now what happens now? If you sit in that crisis, like, so is it, is, am I the problem? So now sort of all drivers sort of back in themselves in the corner by not having taken out a statement or put a sanction on or done something to Kieran Growl or said, said something. Mm-hmm. They put themselves in a corner. And, and I know, for example, all the Springboks, they're very meticulous in their way. They don't forget things. They, they watch no, everything. They so they, they all go to the world rugby and be like, listen, guys, so there's nothing going to happen here? So then is it free reign for us? But then also it gets to a point where, because there's a fine line, because you get a, might get a point where coaches go, I'm actually not going to say anything because if I say something, I'm going to get in trouble. But then you should know that's the mandate. Hmm. So, yeah, I think World Rugby needs to do something because otherwise they, they're backing themselves in a corner where there's the, the odd teams that watch the response. They watch what happens to other, to other coaches. And if they're going to say something, if I'm Rusty Erasmus, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep chiming in because you're not going to punish me if you're, you're going to punish Kieran Crowley who's, who's calling you guys out to post at the end of the game. So, yeah, so World Rugby, they've got to find a way to sort this out and quickly. Yeah. No, I, I agree yeah, with you, that's, Cooks. That's and, one uh, thing I think we all agree on. Yeah, so, sorry. I, the last point on this is that uh, a lot of people said, oh no, Crawley got it in the heat of the moments. It was post-match right after the final whistle. But then he went off into the change rooms, came out for the press conference and reiterated a lot of his points that he said in the previous interview. So he did have time to sort of recollect himself and still came out with the same message. Double, double down. Love it. Love it. But um, the, the right thing is, is you've got to create the pressure. We, we all want the right calls made, like no matter what, like the, with, with Scotland taking a quick throw in with the incorrect ball, everyone's up in arms and the, and the Irish are trying to convince the ref that it's their mistake. And let's just call it within the laws. And that's it. If it's not called within the laws, we need to understand why and make sure it minimized in the future. So hopefully we'll see a bit of change. Closing off on the Six Nations, so this is how it sits at the moment. Ireland, number one with 19 points. France, second place with 15 points. Scotland, third in 10. England, fourth in 10. And then Wales, five. Italy, one. We're in a position where, obviously, um, the the nice part of the Six Nations and the way it's set up is Scotland, Italy, pay first. Um, But the big games are the last two games on Saturday. France, Wales, we're all expecting... France to take five points out of that game. Am I correct, gents? Yep. Yeah. So we're expecting France yep. to take five points out of the game and put a decent uh, a decent score on the board. The, the points difference. So if teams are level, there's a there's a points difference is the next in line, and the points difference is twenty points between France and Ireland at the moment. So that's definitely achievable by France. So France bonus point win. Let's say they put. 15 points on 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 Wales and take five points. They move up to 20 with um with a plus 61 points difference. If Ireland lose to England with a bonus point 
and four points or five points, we will see France win the championship. So there's a, there's a hell of a lot going on. We don't, no one really expecting Ireland um, to lose at, uh, in Dublin against England, especially this England side. So we're expecting um, Ireland to, to grand slam it. But France have a chance. So, Jared, you quickly. France, where uh, we've gone through that. Ireland, England, who do you reckon is going to win? Uh, I think Ireland will win. Uh, I don't think they'll worry too much about a bonus grand point. Slam. I don't know if there they will go. even... Yeah. I, 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 I think they'll grand slam it. They'll get over the line. Um, six dog is playing, so I think Ireland will win. Okay. Cooks? Yeah, same. I think Ireland... Wins, uh, I don't think it'll be a bonus point. I think they're just going to get the job done. Um, yeah, doesn't matter. And, as long as they um, get yeah, get, right. get the job done and get stuck into those Guinness. It's going to be a terrible weekend to be a Guinness this weekend on Saturday. Well, I'll tell <laughs> you. St. Patrick's on, Day. Yeah, on Friday. It's St. Patrick's Day on Friday. So the boys, uh, Ireland and most of the world, I mean, everyone's Irish on, on St. Patrick's Day. But um, yeah, they're going to be hungover leading into the game and then they're going to have to drink the hangover way and celebrate a Grand Slam and a win over England. So come Tuesday next week, we might be getting some podcasts out of, uh, out of Ireland, but I don't think we'll be getting anything before that. So No, no, no 100%, 100% not. Yeah, exactly. So wrapping up this bonus podcast that we've put through, um, just want to say thanks to everyone. Tyler, unfortunately, had a bit of technical issues, but Jared Cook's Thank you. It was an absolute dream. Everyone, please, everyone's Irish on Friday. Enjoy a pint of Guinness or perhaps a, uh, a, a nice whiskey. And uh, we'll catch up with you all on Monday. And all the best for the weekends. Rugby, thank you. Cheers, boys. Cheers.